You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. This is our sermon series, Recalibrate. This series explores the intentional formation of disciples and how we as a church can help our congregation change and grow. Uh, Hey, we stand because we need to hear from Jesus this morning, right? Like it gets us up, it wakes us up as we read through the Bible. It helps us pay attention to what's going on. We don't stand because we're worshiping the Bible. We're standing because we need to hear from God this morning. So as I read this, like just soak it in. Like just allow it to kind of fall onto your soul this morning as a balm, all right? So Psalm 1, one of my favorite psalms in all the Psalter. Um, Here it is. I'll read and then I'll pray for us. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, um, as we just sang your words, uh, sang truth from your, your Bible, we rehearsed and we read aloud um, pieces of scripture together. The, the phrase that is sticking with me this morning is your redemption is drawing near. And God, in the midst of the chaos that seems to be our world right now, I just find my soul longing for the reality of the full experience of that redemption. There's there's tiredness, there's weariness, there's hurt, division, brokenness, literally countries falling apart. And God, I'm ready. And so, God, as we gather together as the church this morning in person, we pray that we would get a foretaste of that redemption here. We've sang about it. We've read about it. We're about to sit under the preaching of it. I pray, God, that as we are here and we experience just the the beauty of a people that we're depositing, not just for things here right now in this short breath of a life that we have, but literally putting deposits in relationships that we'll get to be with for eternity, God. I pray that we would experience the beauty of the redemption that we have in Jesus. Lord, as we sit under the truth of your word, as we sing it later in the service, as we take communion later in the service. May we just be reminded of everything that you've done for us, all the crap that we bring to the table, and yet you still fully embrace us and you want us to be a part of your family. Give us a taste, God, before we leave this place. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you can be seated. On a random rainy morning, just like the one that we had this morning, Gretchen Rubin asked herself, what do I want from my life? 
Like what, what do I want at the end of my life? What would I say is like a life well worth lived? And her answer would not seem to be all that abnormal to anyone that would be sitting in this room. She said, I want to be happy. Like genuinely, I, I want to be happy. Now her response may not have been abnormal, but what she did with her answer was a little bit abnormal because the next year she dedicated her life to what she would call her happiness project. She researched and practiced ancient wisdom, what people said led to happiness from years, decades, centuries before her. She did current scientific research to see what are some things formulaic that she could bring into her own life that helped bring about happiness. She even went to learn lessons from pop culture on how to be happy. And as she did this for the whole year, she documented everything that she was doing in this happiness project and then turned it into a book, which she, not to any surprise, called it The Happiness Project. And to say that this book did well would be an understatement. It ended up selling 1.5 million copies. It served multiple years on the New York Times bestseller list. It has been published in over 30 different languages, and it was even an answer on the game show Jeopardy, which is, you know, you've reached it if you've made it to Jeopardy, you know what I'm saying? Now, I I share all of this, okay? I share all of this because we take our our happiness very seriously, don't we? We take our, our happiness very seriously. We all want it. We all dream about it. We're all trying to get it. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to talk about it. If it's the thing that we're all pursuing in this life, then why not spend at least a Sunday us talking about this thing that we're all going after? So to do so, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 1, what we just read. And what I love about the Psalter is if you look at the Psalter, it hits every emotion that you experience in this human life. Every single emotion that you could possibly contrive in your mind, it is touched in this, in this altar. And what I love about this is Psalm chapter one deals with happiness first. The thing that every single one of us are pursuing after is the very first emotion that's addressed in all of the Psalms. How happy is the one? So here's what I want to do. All right. So I just want to look at Psalm chapter one and learn what the Bible has to say about the thing that we all want. And what we'll see is the psalm kind of breaks down into three different chunks. The first one, the, psalm, the psalmist is bringing forward different pathways of life, the wicked life or the happy life. There's two paths. You can choose one of them. Then it compares the two. And then the last at the very end, it gives the outcomes of what the result of these two lives ends up being. And so in each of these parts, I just want to consider an aspect of the happy life. We'll wrestle with that. We'll go through some application and then we'll conclude, all right? So if you're a note taker, here's your first point, all right? First point. The blessed life or the happy life is prudent, is prudent. We find this in the first two verses. Psalmist says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. So we get the two paths here in these first two verses and what seems to separate the two paths is prudence, all right? So C.S. Lewis gives a really helpful definition of prudence. He says this, prudence means practical common sense, taking the trouble to think out what you're doing and what is likely to come of it. 
And so this is exactly what we see the psalmist work through here in the first two verses of Psalm 1. It is a happy life because it's prudent, because it's discerning. You see this in the very first verse. And then it's prudent because it's also instructed. You see this in the second verse. Now, we need to talk about it being instructed before discerning because the latter informs the former. All right. So first, let's talk about it being instructed. You see this in verse two. Um, If you see it, it says that there is the Lord's instruction, that the, the psalmist delights in the Lord's instruction. If you have a different translation, it probably says something like the law of the Lord. All right. So the law here, it has a larger meaning than just a system of rules. It's actually talking about this holistic teaching of life that you have this pattern, you have this instruction for what it looks like to live and walk in this life. And here's what this ultimately means for those who follow this happy path, this blessed path. It means that you have direction in life. You know where you're going. There's direction. You, you have a path that you can know that you can walk with your own two feet on and that is gonna be level ground. Jesus, whenever he's asked about what the law of the Lord, if there's two most important commands that you find in all the law of the Lord, what is it? And he kind of comprises all the law of the Lord down into two different commands. He says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Like if you're a person that follows the Lord's instruction, this is the direction for your life. Like you can say, I know where I'm headed. This is the drum that I beat. Love is literally the core at everything that I do. Chiefly, my love for my God, the one who literally spoke me into existence. It's, this is the core of what I am after. And then I work really hard at it. The psalmist, or what Jesus says here is he says, with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, literally with everything that you have, you're hitting this drum of love, this very core thing that drives my life. And then you put other people before yourself. You consider them before you consider yourself. This is the direction. This is what Jesus kind of comprises all the law of the Lord down into two things. And it's the thing that gives us direction in life. And the psalmist is saying that the one who is happy is the one who thinks through these things. The psalmist says that you meditate on it day and night that you think through its implications, that you think through what it looks like to practice them in your life, that you think about the end results, that if you pursue this path, this is what it's gonna lead me to go. And they adjust their life according to its instruction. If I have like a mental picture, it's kind of silly, but just bear with me, all right? If I have like a picture of what this looks like, if you've watched Back to the Future 2, you know that Biff has his sports almanac. You know what I'm talking about? Literally does everything in life based off of this sports almanac. Well, that's what the Lord's instruction is for you. Like you come back to it and you come back to it and you get to know it and you get it deep, not just into your own mind, but deep down into your own heart and it gives you direction in life. So that's the first thing, but you can't stop with prudence at instruction We know this because of verse one. So it says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. You see, even the one who is not happy or blessed or 
here put as wicked is receiving instruction. Do you see that here? What matters is ultimately is the source of the instruction. And this is why the person who is prudent is not only instructed, but is discerning. Now, if you go to chapter one or to verse one, you see a pattern here. There should be a chart that pops up here. And what you see here is that you move from this considering then to a participating in the instruction and then ultimately belong to those people that are providing this instruction. You see this with the activity. So it starts out with a person that's just walking. He's given a visual. Given a walking, this person's walking. There's a group of people over here that are talking through something. And whatever it is, it catches your eye. So you stop. You're, You're not just walking, but now you're considering. And then it's like the psalmist is saying that this person is attracted into the conversation that's going. They stand there. They're now participating in the instruction that is going on. And then he ultimately says they end up sitting. You belong. Like, these are my people. This is my way of life. This is my instruction, the the way and the path that I follow. Ultimately, you ingratiate yourself with the wicked, the sinners, and the mockers. You sit. This, This is your people. You belong with these people now. And what they do, their pattern of life is now your pattern of life. And here's the thing. They're not discerning. They're not discerning. The one who is happy discerns the trajectory of the path and uses wisdom in selecting his or her curse. But listen, you can have all the instruction in the world yet still make all the wrong decisions. What, what we see from Walker Percy, I think he puts it so well, he says you can get all A's and still funk life. And that's what these people are doing. They have people that are speaking into their life, they're getting instruction, but it's not discerning. Their sources are awful. It leads to their destruction. And this is what happens when we allow counsel to supersede the Lord's instruction in our life. Listen, I'm tired after the last couple of years. Like, I'm literally exhausted. You know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of people finding discernment for their life and the ways, the direction of their life and the decisions that they're making from outside sources beyond the Bible. I'm exhausted by it. I'm exhausted by us turning to the news and having Tucker Carlson and Anderson Cooper give us direction in our life above the Bible. I'm exhausted by people going to social media influencers on TikTok who put together these videos that they are then deconstructing their faith before you and that's where you go for your ultimate source of authority. I'm exhausted by people that are reading books that they put all their thoughts after a year of what it looks like to pursue happiness and they go and they have book clubs that they do and they revolve all their life, their philosophy of life around these things and they're not going to the Bible. I've seen it tear people's lives apart that are really close to me and I'm exhausted by it. Because it leads to their destruction. It doesn't lead to their happiness. You know what does lead to your happiness? Delighting in the Lord's instruction. Listen to Psalm 19. The Lord's instruction is perfect in renewing one's life. 
The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They're more desirable than gold, than an abundance of gold. They're sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. Listen, if you wanted to find something sweet at this point in time, there's no artificial sugar. You had to find something that was just naturally sweet that you could put on your tongue. And the psalmist is saying, I found it. I found it. It's the Lord's instruction. It's God's voice in my life. And it's the path that leads to my happiness. So look, the first principle, if you're wanting happiness in your life, then you live a prudent life. It's both instructed and discerning. And you go to the ultimate source of life for the instruction that gives you direction. The second one is this. The happy life or the blessed life is planted. We see this in verses three through four. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. You see, the blessed life is like a tree planted next to a stream because it knows its life source. Every one of us knows how a tree works, but let's just, for the sake of like science sake, let's talk through it. So a tree is dependent on outside resources in order for it to live and survive. We know that, right? So it needs sunlight. It needs soil with minerals and nutrients in it, but most of all, it needs a constant source of water. And the tree of Psalm 1 has planted itself next to the stream, this unending life source, And how does it plant itself? It sinks its roots deep down into the soil right next to the stream to where it cannot be moved. The one who is blessed is not only prudent, but its roots itself to the wellspring it's found in this life. It's not only the Lord's instruction that provides us with guidance for this life, but it actually nourishes us in this life. And here's a couple of ways that we see this carry itself out within Psalm chapter one, all right? So first, it yields fruit. It yields fruit. Fruit is one of the primary evidences that you know that a tree is actually alive. I mean, it's the natural product of its life. And how does a tree yield fruit? It's not like the water tables that you find at like the water parks that you know, if you know what I'm talking about, like it has the channels that you can move the, the like stick and it like channels all the water in the way that it directs. That's not how a, a plant works. That doesn't like get rain and then immediately funnel it to one particular branch. That's not how it works. It's not a sponge. It doesn't just soak up all the water and then dispense it on the, the leaves that are really dying and withering. That's not how a tree works. No, it's a living organism. It absorbs the water and minerals, extracting what's nutritious and life-giving for it. And so it is with the life that's blessed. See, the person that's planted their life in the instruction and the words of the Bible, they don't just read and channel the word in their life where when anxiety pops up, they're not like, okay, what's that anxiety passage? Okay, don't be anxious. And then they channel it to their life and it's like, okay, it's done. That's not how life works. You know that. They're not like sponges either, where they go and memorize a bunch of verses in their life. And whenever things get really hard, they like rinse it out on their life. And it's like, bam, I'm better. 
That's not how it works either. No, if you are a person that's planted by the stream, you go and you read and then you absorb the scriptures in your life. You are extracting the nutrients from the stream of God's word that you've planted your life right next to. You absorb it as a balm for the wounds and brokenness in your soul and it creates growth and new life inside of you. So it kind of looks like this. We, we read a few different passages up on the screen, all right? Ephesians chapter two is one of them. It says, but God who is rich in mercy. Sometimes like you can't move beyond that. It's the only time in the Bible that the, the, the Bible actually declares God rich in something and it's rich in mercy. And so you soak it in, absorb, absorb it and think that's how God is towards me. He's rich in his mercy towards me. You think love covers a multitude of sins. And maybe the previous day is just weighing on you from the conversations that you had and you're just so convicted and you wake up and you read the passage or you recite it to yourself and you think love covers a multitude of sins. God tells me that his love is beyond anything that I can imagine in this life. And so you soak it in and absorb it. You read passages, how good and pleasant it is when we live in unity. Maybe you have anger going on inside of you. You feel the tension of division around you, maybe even the desire to cause division in your workplace, in your family, whatever it may be. And then you read how good and pleasant it is when we live in unity. And you absorb it into your life. That's what it looks like to be planted to absorb it, for to change your life. Now notice the little phrase David puts after this idea of bearing fruit. He says, in its season. See, in a microwave culture, we must come back to the agricultural reality that growth takes time. Because we expect immediate results, it's easy to grow frustrated with our own progress. And so we look at people's lives and what do we begin to do? We begin to compare. You do this, I do this. We look and we compare with other people in our life and we get frustrated. There's, in my six and a half years here, if there's one truth that I remember Lyle just cramming deep down into my life, it's that growth takes time. You've heard him say it multiple times. I heard it countless years where he was saying it. And comparison is no help to our growth. What we need is the pattern of the tree that we see here, where it's this agricultural idea that you're putting your roots down, you're taking in the minerals and the nutrients of God's word. It's soaking and absorbing deep into your life and it's causing change, slow change. I have a guy that was in a community group that I led about 10 years ago at Sojourn. And uh, he, um, he would call me once a day and he had this constant struggle that was going on in his life. And he would call me and he'd just be in tears, be in tears about this thing that's going on in his life. And 
it felt like the same conversation every time that we talked. It's like, okay, Tony, it's okay, man. We'll talk through this. We'll work through it. Let's pray. Let's confess. Let's repent. Let's move forward. And what I found over the course of the next three years, as he was in my community group, it went from day to day to week to week. And then it went from week to week and it went to month to month. And then it went month to month to quarter to quarter. And I remember it finally hit me one, one of these quarter instances where he called me. He's in tears again. It's like, God, why, aren't, why isn't this gone? Why isn't this out of my life? And we had to stop and we had to pause and we had to say like, hey man, I, this is just hitting me. Uh, hopefully this speaks to you. But like, do you remember when we first started our phone calls three years ago? It was every single day, every day, almost the exact same time I could expect a phone call from you. And we'd have what felt like the exact same conversation. And then do you realize that we went to week to week? And then do you realize it went month to month? And do you now realize it's been three months since we had this conversation last? I was like, there's growth. There's growth taking place in your life. Yeah, it's still present. And yeah, it may be slow, but look, there's fruit. Your life has been planted and God is producing a good work inside of you. Now, we can't like, it doesn't just stop there. It it doesn't just stop with like this growth, but the, the psalmist puts another picture before us of this endurance So a life that's planted, it not only produces fruit, it also endures. The tree that is planted beside the stream bears fruit in its season, but its leaf does not wither. Now, why does it not wither? Has it evaded the changing of seasons? No, we don't get that at all here. Did the drought of the summer not come? That's not, that doesn't seem to be part of the visual that we're getting. Is the tree protected from the cold or hot winds of the season? No, that doesn't seem to be the case either. There's no mention of any of this, but rather the leaf does not escape the harsh realities of nature, but it endures them. Now, why does the leaf not wither? Well, it's the leaf does not wither because it remains attached to the tree that possesses the unchanging source of life. And so it is for the person who's planted their life in Christ in his word. See, don't be confused when the psalmist writes, whatever he does prospers. We can read that and think, well, if I come to Jesus, then life is going to be easier, it's going to be more luxurious, and all my troubles are going to fade away. But just as the tree is not removed from the hardships of nature, neither are followers of Jesus removed from the hardships of life. However, in staying attached to the tree, the leaf is able to endure. It doesn't wither. It remains. And so it is with us. You see, the blessed life does not come by simply acknowledging Jesus in our life. It comes with the ongoing reality of our need for him, where we come back to him day after day, moment after moment. And when hardships and difficulties come, you don't bail on Jesus, but you stick with him or else you'll wither. It'd be like the chaff of the wicked, light, withered, useless, and carried away by the wind. Now, I know this is, it it sounds really easy to say this in a time that is easy and good, but when the hard times hit, it's really hard to find this truth, calming, enduring, long-suffering. And my wife and I, we hit that back in 2012. So we had this six-month timeframe. We had 
two miscarriages and sandwiched in between that was a malignant tumor that was found in my body. And I was a wreck. Feeling bitterness and anger towards God in ways that I, I don't know if I've ever experienced before. And it, it was one of those things where it felt like we had done everything right in life. You know what I'm saying? You ever had those moments where like hardship comes and it's like, if I did something wrong, I could see this, but it feels like we did things right. My wife and I, we dated six and a half years before we got married and didn't sleep together once. And then when we start to try to have kids, two miscarriages right out of the gate, it's like, God, what are you doing? A malignant tumor at 25? What, what's happening? And I remember listening to a podcast as I was driving one day and this pastor was sharing the story that he had a similar circumstance in his life. And he was sharing how he was talking through this circumstance with his neighbor who was not a believer. He says this after sharing the circumstance, the, the neighbor was just kind of nodding and going along with him. And this was a question that he posed to this pastor afterwards. He says, how can you go through cancer and still believe in a God? And I'll never forget the pastor's response. He said, how can you make it through such suffering without him? And it was like an ointment for my soul. Listen, just because you become a Christian doesn't mean that your life's gonna get more luxurious or that you're gonna be freed of hardships. Hardships are gonna come. But the tree that's been planted, it endures. And it's God who sustains you through the hardships. And what the Bible tells us is he ultimately uses it for your good. So look, the first thing about our happiness, the, the happy life is prudent. It's also planted. It yields fruit and it endures. And then lastly, the happy or blessed life is pardoned. We see this in verses five through six. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. In this, we see two things that were both forgiven and were fully known. But forgiven and fully known. The happy life is blessed because it's forgiven. You see in verse five, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment or in the assembly of the righteous. But here's what I think the, the psalmist is really trying to portray to us. The wicked one doesn't, but the blessed one does. The happy one stands up at judgment. The wicked one cannot stand on his own two feet, but the happy one stands at the judgment day. And the reason that they can stand is not because of anything that they've done in and of themselves. Even if they chose the path of the happy one or the blessed one here, that they were prudent and they were planted. We know that they're not perfect because we know the rest of what the Bible says. The Bible says that there's not been one person that has lived perfectly in this life. God has looked across the land and there's not one person that is perfect. So we know that it's not because they bring a bunch of stuff to the table that God is delighted in them. No. They stand up in the judgment and in the assembly of the righteous because they are forgiven. 
Here's where I'm getting this, all right? So the same word for happy or blessed that we see in Psalm 1 is used also in Psalm 32 for the word like joyous. And look what the psalmist says in Psalm 32. He says, how joyful, how happy, how blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful or happy or blessed is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. The happy one is one that's pardoned because they're forgiven. Not because of anything they bring to the table, but because of what Jesus brings to the table for them. I love the way that the Heidelberg Catechism puts this. He's talking about the forgiveness that we find in Jesus. It's basically like this question and answer thing. Here's what it says. What do we believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? It says this, I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. For those of you that have planted your life with Jesus, that's your reality. Completely forgiven. Fully pardoned. Now, it's not only forgiven, but it's also fully known. And this, this is the great picture, all right? God knows everything about your life, but he's still chosen to forgive you and to bring you in, even though he still knows all of you, everything that's happened in your life. We see this in the verse six. So it says, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. This word watch here can also be translated known. Another pastor was talking through this verse. He says, known had more meaning packed into it than what we have in the word known today. It's like you kind of had um, the word. So there's like this word acknowledged, knows in the middle of it. It's like, this is what no is in the Bible, that there's more than just what we would have in terms of like knowledge in the head, but there's a full meaning to it that spans beyond just something that resides in our head, but it's like this fully encompassing thing. And so what we use with like the word acknowledge is like you're noticed, you're approved, and you're affirmed. And what this pastor was saying is like, this is how God is towards you. He knows everything about you. And his arms are wide open. You're fully accepted at Christ's expense. He brings you into the family. I love the way that J.I. Packer puts it. He says this, what matters supremely is not the fact that, this, this is long, so sorry. All right, what matters supremely is not the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, that the fact that he knows me. Listen, I'm graven on the palms of his hands. I'm never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as friend, one who loves me, and there's no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, listen, when his care falters. And here's why this matters. Because when you are pardoned, you're fully free. The happy life is a pardoned life because you can live fully free because you're completely accepted. 
Listen, I, I think the best picture that you can get of a person living free in this life is that of a child, all right? So I have a picture of my setting up here. I love this picture. This is at our house that we had here in Louisville in our dining room, all right? And here's what I love about this picture, okay? So how many of you are willing to put on a mask over your eyes, not just your mouth, but over your eyes and go to work? Anybody? Well, guess what? If you come over to my house, my son's gonna have about 15 costume changes. He loves to put on different superhero costumes. He loves anything that he can do to dress up. He loves it. He loves it. He's, he's not worried about what you think about him. Now, notice the picture with the food that's on his plate, all right? So my, my Sutton's a little abnormal in that he doesn't like, like, Cheerios. He doesn't like pizza. He doesn't like some of these things. He loves ranch and a side of vegetables to go with it. So he'll drink the ranch and then take a nibble off of the vegetable. That's what he does, all right? Now, here's the thing, all right? So if my, my Sutton just started kindergarten, if he goes to the school cafeteria, are they gonna know what food that he likes? No, they have no idea. They're gonna give him the generic meal that they give every single other student that goes to the school. But guess what? My wife and I know him. And we put the food that we know that he likes on the plate. Now, notice something else. Notice the smile that's on his face. I love that smile. And here's, here's the reality of my Sutton. Is my Sutton perfect? Absolutely not. There's constant battles that we have in our home, especially between he and his younger brother Sawyer right now. It's like every day, all day. You know what I'm saying? Biting, pulling, punching, pulling of hair, like stealing toys, yanking things out of each other's hands. Like that's our reality at home. Now we deal with it though. We, we make sure that we're reconciling relationships in our home. So look, my son is smiling because he has no fear of condemnation in our household. He's, he's the embodiment of being completely free. He's not worried about other people's opinions. He's fully known and he's fully pardoned. And it leads to him living fully free. This is the life God wants for you. It's the life only he can give you. That's why the psalmist says, how happy is the one who's prudent, who's planted, and who's pardoned. So let's work through a few questions of application and then we'll conclude, okay? So here's the first question. Who or what is the dominant voice in your life? Who or what is the dominant voice in your life? Is it other people's opinions about you? Like, do you constantly have this anxiety going on inside of you where you're trying to keep up this certain image that maybe you think other people have of you and this is just the source of the prominent voice that's in your life? Is it shame? Do you look at yourself in the mirror and there's remorse over who you are? The things that have happened in your past? Or listen, is it God and his word and the truth that he's through Jesus welcomed you into his family and you're fully accepted? 
Second, am I fruitful? Now look, we've all experienced a fruitful person, all right? They're refreshing and nourishing when you're around them. You leave their presence feeling fed and strengthened. Your appetite for God and the Bible is reawakened after you spend some time with them. Conversations with these people are encouraging and challenging and enlightening and convicting all at the same time. Whenever you sit down with them, it's like you've just eaten a full meal. You leave just fully satisfied. You know the people I'm talking about? I mean, you have them in your life. Now, here's my question. Are, is that you? Are you the fruitful person? Are you planted and are you yielding fruit and are you enduring through the hardships of life? Are you fruitful? Hey, look, your growth may be slow. That's okay. Because it's good growth. Now, last question is this. Are you living fully free? C.S. Lewis kind of puts it like this. He says, I want a gr- God wants a grown-up's head, but a child's heart. Someone that's thoughtful and discerning and thinking through life, but yet is simple, single-minded, affectionate, and teachable. That's what I saw in my Sutton. That's what God wants in your life as well. Are you living fully free? Look, the application for all of us is the same, that we plant our lives beside the stream, the source of all life. We trust in Christ as our pardon. He's our only hope of forgiveness and of being fully known. And pardon on the day of judgment comes from Christ our Lord alone. There's no other way that you can stand. You root yourself to the scriptures, absorbing and applying them to your life and thinking through its implications and the way that you live your life. And then you're prudent. You listen to the word and you discern, you think and you live wisely in this life. And if you do this, listen, this will be you saying this. Happy is the one who does these things and who delights in the Lord's instruction. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.